I am Pythea with Camera Occulta, and today we are going to be talking about a dark song with Flood from XB Planus. So you liked a dark song? I would honestly say at this point it's slowly making its way up to being in my top 10, if it's not already. I, I, I adore that movie. So yeah, we're going to be talking about the movie A Dark Song today, and that is by IFC, I believe. They distributed that. It was directed by Liam Gavin, who also wrote it, which is a very interesting thing because of the way he wrote it, directed it, and everything else he did with this makes me really wonder who he is, and I could not find much about him. Well, I, I might be able to offer a little bit of insight into that. Yeah, go ahead and tell me about it. Well, Liam Gavin, the independent filmmaker from Ireland, A Dark Song was his very first film ever. I want to say it was originally released in 2016 with a larger global release in 2017. It was his first go. He's done a couple of shorts that I haven't really been able to track down yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to. And you're right. The fact that he wrote this does make it very, very interesting. And the reason why is unlike most movies that you would find that dabble in the occult and stuff like that and, and use that type of imagery, this guy went full-on deep into it, and he actually decided to make the centerpiece of the film a well-known occult ritual known as the Abremelin Operation. Yeah. And that's what makes this stand above and beyond anything else that I've seen as far as occult in cinema. Apparently, in the process of making this, there was some really weird stuff going on on set. The dog that keeps barking throughout the course of the entire film. You've been hearing the dog? The dog? Yeah, there's a dog that barks at night. That was actually happening in real life. And they never found a dog, but there was always a dog barking in the background somewhere. And they would describe incredibly intense shifts in, in temperature within the house that they were filming. And they couldn't explain it. I can see that happening. Okay, so what we're going to talk about next is definitely spoiler territory. If I hadn't said this in the intro for the show, expect spoilers once you're at this point. We assume you watched the movie if you're listening to us talk about it. The basis of this movie is that this woman, through her grief, is trying to find some solace, some conclusion to something that happened in her life, and she puts in the effort and money to hire an actual mage to do a ritual for her out in the middle of nowhere in the UK. And the way it plays out, it is very in line with what happened at Bullskin House, right? Yeah. Alex Crowley. Yeah. Crowley. And it, it definitely pulls in the actual history of what he did off of Loch Ness and he abandoned, and it comes in line with that. You can see it mirrored throughout there several times. Now, the ritual they do, they say it's the Abramelin, Abramelin? Abramelin operation. Abramelin. I don't say it very often, so. It really depends on who you're talking to, because I've heard it pronounced with the inflections on the different syllables on both ways, so I don't think there's a wrong way to say it. Yeah, and through the course of this process... She does come to her own final conclusion where she needed to be, not necessarily where she thought she was going, but where she needed to be is definitely where she ends up at the end. What aspects of this movie, occult-wise, drew you in? Well, at the time that I discovered A Dark Song, it was totally by fluke. I wasn't actually looking for a new horror film or anything like that. 
But at the time, I was actually reading the Book of Abramelin. And so I was about halfway through it and I was taking a break. I want to say it was right around spooky season. And so I took a break from the book and I started flipping through Netflix, just looking for something to watch. And I'm like, oh, a new horror movie, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, I'll give it a shot. So I was completely blown away whenever Steve Orm is sitting there flipping through his her little book. It's like, Book of Abramelin, you're not, you're not fussing around, are you? And I'm like, oh, oh, I know this. <laughs> so that's that's what hooked me. And what pulled me in further is like by the time I was watching the movie, like I said, I was a little over halfway through, but they were relatively accurate for it. I mean, obviously they did, took a considerable amount of, of dramatic liberties for the sake of a film, but they were following it pretty close. Have you taken a swing at the Abramelin yet? No, absolutely not. I read the entire book front to back a couple of times at this point. And by the way, it's very, very dense. If, if you've never read it or if your listeners have not, it's tough to get through. There's a lot to it. The reason that I decided to stray away from it is because in order to do it properly, you essentially have to be independently wealthy and be able to devote every waking moment for six to 12 months of your life to do this ritual. It fascinates me. I've, t I've spoken to people who have done it, and it's pretty interesting to hear the outcome of it. But yeah, it's just not within the realm of possibility for me, and I would genuinely be concerned, as, as you know, we'll discuss this a little bit further down the line, that if you start this ritual and you don't complete it, it's not going to end well. Depending on how far you get in. Now, I've, I've picked it up twice, the actual ritual, I cannot complete it. I might be able to complete it next year. I'm usually taking on too much to get that kind of solitude going. A six-month stretch. This movie, the ritual he is doing is not that ritual. Well, it, that's the framework for it. But inside of it, he, he's definitely doing a considerable amount of other rituals as well. You're correct. What do you think about the ritual he does perform? Which portion of it? The entire layout, the system he has going, the system he has is not necessarily the Abermelon ritual itself, but the sequestering, the timeline, the strictness of adherence, that is all part of it. But the separate rooms for the ritual I thought was interesting. And the circle technique I thought was interesting. Yeah, the, the circle technique, that that was something that kind of threw me off. However, in, in my interpretation of reading the book of a Bremlin, you do actually have to have those separate areas in order to perform specific rituals. The cleansing ritual you have, I want to say facing, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muck it up, but the, there are certain rooms that are supposed to be facing specific cardinal directions for specific reasons and for specific rituals within the ritual. I, was I was using Aaron Leach's method for it which can be done in a smaller space. Okay. I, I don't think yeah. I'm familiar with that. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. It's um, one of the Golden Dawn adherent types. So uh, I can share that with you later. Yeah. There's this very small ritual at the beginning of it where it's her symbolic death where she snaps the twig. The square represents its form. The number four, square of two, a perfect number. This room is your urges, your baseness. It is where you will gain your steel. Break it. And I thought that was pretty interesting as a ritual in itself, a very effective piece of technology they were using, but that I'm pretty sure it's not part of that. And her reconciliation with not wanting to give something up 
and then she has to drink blood of a sacrifice, which would never appear in the Abermelon because no, yeah. the Abermelon is Jewish. You do not drink blood in that. It's it's completely forbidden. But I thought that was a very interesting piece of the ritual, too. How did you feel about the way he laid the rooms out? Well, I mean, from an artistic standpoint, absolutely stunning. I mean, they, they were they were beautiful to see and and to see designed. But yeah, I mean, if we're comparing the film to the actual ritual, there's not actually a whole lot of that type of work, like doing the the sigils, the designs on the floor, stuff like that. Most of it is actually pretty simple. It's like you certainly do set up an area with a triangle, an area with a square. These spaces are supposed to be for reflection and cleansing yourself. So yeah, it's it's kind of hard for me to to say anything because I appreciate it as so much as as a piece of art, as opposed to it being an actual ritual. But it sure as hell got closer than any other filmmaker I've seen. I I it was very respectful to the occult practices that it was pulling from, and that is something you don't see represented in media very often. It's usually occult Catholic washing where everything's a demon and everything's demonic if it doesn't come from a priest. Right. And this was this was refreshing. So in the artistic layout, do you want to go into that? Yeah, sure. There was a lot of design sigils and and old languages that were laid on top of one another. And especially in those very, very intricate patterns where you see like a spirals going out and everything like that. I personally have not done too much of a deep dive into what all he was referencing there, but it certainly set the tone and the mood and the atmosphere. And I think it was a really good artistic representation of of the self-discipline you have to have for this stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely what caught my eye about it. Yeah. He writes an Enochian letter on the ground at some point. It's so fast, you can't even catch it to see which letter it is, but you can see his hand move in such a way that matches some of the Enochian script. And then they cut before you can identify it, which I thought was very interesting. They pulled in several different script writing types, symbol types for this. And the giant circles themselves get more and more intricate as the movie goes on and as she is pulled in and participating in the ritual directly because to do it right, she needs to be doing it too. And while the way that they're drawing that isn't necessarily anything within the occults, like the symbols that she's using to compose the stars and the shapes, that's not necessarily something that's referenced outside. But what it is, is her intention and focus that she's putting into doing it that is the making of the energy of those symbols. Right. And now when you're saying that, are you referring to the room where they're doing all of the intricate designs? Or are you talking about the, the main room where they have the different circles and squares that they have to go through? The main room when she's she's putting down and adding to it. And when she's drawing it, it gets real close up and you can see that these are shapes. They're individual shapes that are composing the lines. Those aren't best I can tell. Those I cannot find anywhere else. But it doesn't make it not correct still, because the way she is doing it is correct. Yeah. And again, like they didn't go all the way into like flat out showing you what the whole ritual that they were doing is. But the patterns that she was making, that makes a lot of sense to me. However, I do like the other room where they have like the main circle where the guardian angel is supposed to appear and then the series around them. That 
I think is being pulled from Kabbalistic practices. It's somewhat similar to the tree of life, but it's incomplete. Yes. Yes. That I can see that. I can see how that would definitely be the tree of life in some other version, like almost as if they don't want to show you exactly what you need to be doing for that room, for that particular piece, but you get the gist of it. And if you really wanted to get into it, you could find all that stuff. If, if you are inspired by this movie to go out and start doing dark magic, by all means, get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it'll, it'll sneak up on you. There's, there's a whole lot of elements that they pulled from various different practices and, and seem to have only adopted pieces of them. Part of me really wants to actually sit down with Liam Gavin and be like, so you done this before? Were you actually doing it during the film? And is that why we don't actually see everything? Was there, were you actually conducting a magical ritual through your own filmmaking? It plays that way. It really plays that way. For the amount of effort they had to put into doing this and, you know, what it takes to do filming and stuff like that, you would almost have to accidentally be doing a ritual by the end of it, whether you wanted to start that way or not. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about the reconciliation scene towards the beginning where she goes forward and drinks blood? There's this cut and she has to do it again. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I thought it was one of the most captivating parts uh, of, of the whole thing because whether whether you're dabbling in, in magical practices or, or the paranormal aspect of it, which is definitely where I'm kind of a little bit more centered at, things will start to get weird as this unfolds. And it's usually really, really subtle. And sometimes it'll be things like, didn't I just do that? So I, I thought that was a little bit, it was like an, an over illustration of that concept. But I've been there before where you're, you have to stop and say like, holy crap, am I having some sort of weird kind of deja vu or did this actually happen? Did I just slip through time? I loved the subtlety of the paranormal aspects that they put in this film because it's a little bit closer to the reality of the situation. None of this stuff is ever actually up in your face. It's subtle. It's in the background or the synchronicities that started to happen. It's, it's never in your face. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Or it's not a slow movie. It's a slow burn, but it's not a slow movie. For me, I interpreted that scene as her actually having a reality shift and actually being part of the ritual at that point. Yeah, I, I would say that would probably be a really good point to make. I mean, because right before he starts the ritual, Steve Morm's character, and I'm sorry, I can't, I'm forgetting his name Solomon. right now. Solomon. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says before he even starts the ritual is like over the next several days, I'm going to unshackle this house from the world. And that's what starts to manifest the further that she gets into the ritual, the more things start happening. He could have kept on going and who knows what would have happened, maybe even nothing. But she was really the, the main drive of all this. So for that moment to happen, I think you're 100% right. Is like that is kind of a moment where she, the house, both of them just kind of unshackled a little bit yeah and she comes through and fits and starts and that's the way it is through especially self-driven initiation in the cult you're going to have a lot a lot of points in time where you're like this is bullshit i'm going home and her doing that a lot several times up to that point and even i think she does it two more times after that point where she didn't realize that she was locked in 
after that. The doubt that she has to carry through is very in line with the experience of working with the occult. Mm -hmm. Any aspects of the way that they staged the ritual that you wanted to look into, talk about? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much open to talking about all of it. Again, like I, when I stumbled across this movie, I was just beginning to dabble in the stuff. I was going into the Book of Abramelin. But on the flip side of that, towards the end of that time period, I started to experiment a little bit more and I had some pretty dark results. So I kind of stepped away from that aspect of my life. Just now starting to get back to it, although I've had a couple of long running hyper sigils that I've been keeping up forever. But it's the further down that rabbit hole you go, the more you start to question your own sanity. And I, I think this film really tapped into that is as this stuff is progressing, as things are happening, the woman in particular is like constantly in doubt. It was like, was that real? Is that real? Is it real? Like the knock on the floor. I hear it. What is it? It's us being noticed. We probably don't know what we are yet. Are you sure? It could be... What the fuck? Just the subtleties of things moving around. It's, again, the, I have the greatest respect for this movie because they don't give it to you on a silver platter. It's meant to make you think, and it's meant to make you want to look into this stuff a little bit more. The individual things that they were doing... There's a lot of the things there that I connect to, one of which is physical extremities in order to get yourself into kind of a, a meditative mind. I've used similar practices like the, or she was essentially doing water torture on herself to, uh, yeah. yeah, that's some really intense stuff, but that is something that speaks to me personally, actually. Do you want to talk about your experiences with taking swings at this? Um. I would like to no. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. gonna refrain from that. I won't go into great detail, but let's just say that's uh, and you can screw around and find out. And if you're not ready for it, you're gonna find out something that you don't. You're you're just not quite ready for. And I think that's essentially what happened to me because what ended up coming into my life as I was dabbling in this stuff was very disruptive and destructive. It was bad for my health, both mentally and physically. So that's why I had to step away from that for a while and do more research. And that's basically what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Slowly started to make my way back into it because I feel a little bit more confident and a little bit more knowledgeable that I won't make those same mistakes again. But also, that's another one of the reasons I love this movie is it is a little bit of a cautionary tale. Like, don't bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. So how do you feel about Mr. Solomon? Within the occult, how would I say this? Not the occult sphere, the culture sphere and how he would fit into it. Did he remind you of anybody? Well, I mean, obviously there are some subtle elements of Crowley being folded into Solomon. I mean, it's pretty obvious right down to the bald head and, and, and the belly. But I find him as a character to be very, very interesting because at the beginning of the film, he's very full of himself. He suffers from a lot of his call, you know, magicitis, you know. But through the course of it, even he gets challenged a little bit more, but not before doing some pretty crude and terrible things. And yeah. his story arc, he ends up having to pay for those things in the end. Yes. He, when he appeared on the screen and started talking... He reminded me of occult bros a little bit. It's not that you know this one guy that's like him. You know a whole bunch of guys that are like him. And the the horrible things he does later is an actual experience in ceremonial magic groups, which in the movie it's great because it makes you hate him a little bit. 
it reminds you that he is not just human, but a very troubled human. Yeah. And I won't beat up around the bush. He does something that comes very close to sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And this is this is something that comes up occasionally, almost perennially in the occult groups that are out there. And it's something you need to be aware of when you're looking for guidance in the occult is that there are they're not necessarily predators, but they will take advantage of a situation when it's offered to them. And it's just so in line that once again, I'm like, who wrote this? What's his background? How is he so accurate in this portrayal of this character that we run into almost once a year in the occult? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's not that there's he's a bad person. He's just a person and he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing. But that's his life path, I guess. Uh, I I appreciated you trying to to soften and saying not necessarily predators, but I'm actually going to go for it. No, there are tons of predators out there. And it's it's just as like dabbling with the BDSM scene. You have these people who claim to know a lot and they, they claim to be, you know, these masters or geniuses at this stuff. But they are still human beings and they will take advantage of you if you're not careful. So know who you're working with and do your own research before you even start getting involved with other people in this stuff. But I I do think it was very, very important, not only for the story and the film itself, but for the understanding of what was going on within it, is that neither one of these people are necessarily great. They're both horribly flawed people. Now, Solomon's definitely got some, some sinister issues that come to play throughout the course of the film. But the woman is just as, as broken and shattered and doing things for the wrong reason as well. And I think that was one of the most important elements of the film is to show that both of these people are really, really screwed up. And this could be a dangerous thing if you put people who are not mentally and emotionally prepared into these situations and you try to start toying with this stuff, it could get bad. Yeah. Yes, It's not enough to just check in with the people around. You have to be there long enough to see what's going to happen, to see how people behave when they feel that they're the person in power. And that's an important part of rituals. I've run into some interesting situations with the OTO and not saying that anything bad happened there, but I have seen behaviors that if a person were to be in power, they would absolutely have exploited it. At the beginning of the movie, when they're driving out to the house, he starts dropping names of other mages. Did you catch that part? Uh, I did. So he's asking her who else she called in regards to do this thing. And it's not clear, but she is completely disinterested in that conversation. You need someone there. Someone who knows the procedure. Who told you that, Michael Stoats? You girls, you stupid little posh girls. As if she didn't call anyone else. Hmm. Which comes back later in the movie when her intentions are actually clear and she is out for revenge. At that point, he says something along the lines of, I hope you didn't feel that I did that. Almost as if he knows more about the situation than either of them let on. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, that uh, that line actually always kind of 
it it kind of stuck with me. I, I think there was some there were some underlying messages going on there that I, I think Solomon was under the impression that maybe she tracked him down because she thought he was responsible for what happened. But you find out a little bit later in the film that it was a bunch of kids apparently that did it. Yeah. Uh, like a bunch of uh, like screwed up teenagers who were responsible for this tragedy. But it was interesting to see that brief moment of Solomon doubting himself, like, do I have anything to do with this? Because you can almost see it, though, the way he delivers a line is he's thinking about it for a second. I'm like, I'm, do I have a hand in this? I hope you don't think I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and you don't know if she does think that or not. Mm-hmm. You know, later. Yeah. But at that point in time, you are made to doubt his reason for being there especially after everything that until you get to the point where she's like yes it was a bunch of kids that did this there's this tension that runs through the entire period before that that he is now under the impression that he is responsible for it and his attitude changes over the course of this point where he becomes much softer towards her and of course things happen he gets injured in a very interesting way and softens him a little bit more but his his transformation through the arc is very interesting and it includes yes you said the self-doubt of maybe i did do have something to do with this and it's almost heartbreaking when you see him have that moment like did my magic do it did I do it as a kid? You don't know how he could be related, how he would fe- he feels he might have had something to do with it. It's it's this guilt that he starts to carry at that point of all the shit he's done, every demon he's called into the universe, and how he now doubts what he's doing right now. Yeah. And it changes changes the rest of the movie again. Yeah, I mean it changes the it completely totally changes the dynamic between the two characters and his switch into this one last reach for some sort of redemption because he knows his time's running out completely shifts the dynamic and completely shifts the tone of the film. And it's such an intense shift that even in spite of all of the crappy things that this guy did throughout the course of the film, once this switch happens, you still feel for him, just like you said. It's it's a very, very powerful performance and a really interesting arc for the character. At the point at which he gets injured, it's interesting. I can't remember how exactly it happens. He There's a fumbling and a knife goes through his flank. It's pretty bad, but the rules are you can't leave the house. So they got to continue from that point of his injury, but he can't help her anymore. He can help her for a day or two. But this is, I want to say, coming up towards the last month of the ritual, because they're in there for six months, if I recall. Yeah. As she rented the house for a year, they're in there for six months. And he has to stop being the mage. And now she's got to take over. Yeah. How do you feel about her, her performance in taking the lead? I think it was about as wide-eyed and confused as any of the rest of us would be if we were thrown into that situation. Seeing her have to kind of pick up the mantle and not really having the slightest clue of what to do, it's, it adds a whole other layer of fear to the film to begin with. But as that starts to go on, and once Solomon is gone, one of the biggest smacks in the face for her and for the audience is, she picks up Solomon's book, opens it up, nothing in there anymore. Or it's all, was it all painted over? It was redacted. 
Yeah, everything was completely painted over. And you don't see him do this in the movie. There are scenes where you don't know where he's at in the movie. So this could be his attempt for like his last effort to not have his secrets revealed, knowing he's going out. I don't want to say he did this vindictively to her, but it does seem like a slap in the face when she opens that book. I don't think it was him. You don't I, think it was him? No, I, I think really it was, don't. You because, know? because by that point in the film, they had actually moved on to the area where they were they were invoking darker things to, and inviting them into to what they were doing here. And I, I think it was, since she essentially no longer had any control and nobody to guide her, things started falling apart. And I think some of the more malevolent things that they brought into it were pulling trickster elements on her. And I think that was one of them. Yeah. And boy, did they go after her. Um, The imagery with that. Oh, God. I've never seen these creatures. I know people who have. Now by creatures, some people want to call them demons. Not so sure that's the word for them, but that's the word we got. And they are pretty demonic in, in how they operate. And they disrupt her. And she's doing her damnedest to carry on. And she's she looks like an initiate. In fact, this whole thing reads like a deep initiation for her. Yeah. And they abscond with his body and they drag him to hell. Best I can tell, this is the the, the basement or the subfloor is being pulled to hell. And they take her down there too. Yeah. How do you feel about how they moved in on her. I would say that that's somewhat relatively accurate. I mean, it's, it's really similar. Like the, the One of the reasons that this movie gets to me so much is that that scene in particular feels very, very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've encountered a lot of a lot of icky things on my investigations, and some of them have manifested physically, and it's horrifying. I, I, you, it'll take you a long weekend to, to get over it. Luckily for me, the, the only physical altercations that I've ever had have been things that I have not been able to see, and they've been pretty minimal. But those things that have shown themselves to me through the course of all of my practices, investigations, they nailed it. Like it was, it hit almost a little too close to home. I think when I was, I think the first time I was watching the movie, I actually had to turn the lights on. <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, it was like, okay, I was, I'm going to get a beer now. It's good time for a break. Yeah. I, I could definitely see needing a break once they start coming out of the walls. Yeah. Yeah. They, in short, and this is, this is, this is a common thing in initiations. You're going to help. Any good, hardcore, slap you out of reality initiation is going to involve the walk through hell. She does not choose to do this walk. They guide her to it and pull her into it. In the basements, the demons are rallied and they have her. How do you feel about what they did to her? Um, I mean, it was effective for a, a horror film, but I'm not necessarily sure what the symbolism there was. Was it which which finger did they take? I can't remember. Oh, it was one of the internal two, either the ring finger. No, it had to have been the ring finger because if they come in from her pinky and cut off the ring finger oh. on her left hand which i'm not so sure about the symbolism either but they cut her finger off and it is off you you get confirmation that they have cut her finger off i think that was the first step in the next phase is when the demons actually affect you 
and take their pound of flesh is how I read that. That's actually, yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Now, backtracking for one second, you were talking yeah. about how um, as as opposed to, you know, normally through initiation, you you do have the journey through hell. But in her case, she was getting dragged through it. She gets dragged into it, but her journey is having to find her own way out. That was like the final part of the, yes. the journey for her is she got there. Now she's got to find her own way out. Once that finger goes off, she's like, this is really happening. I got to get out of here. And she fights her way out of hell into the upper part of the house, into, oh my gosh, I got goosebumps just thinking about this scene, into the arms of her holy guardian angel. Not necessarily into the outstretched arms of her holy guardian angel, but she goes into the room where the summoning for the angel is to occur and the angel is there. And what a what and a remarkable representation, I, I gotta say. It was, okay, it was very stereotypical of what you would think it holy guardian angel's going to look like. I'm not going to fault them for that. Yours might not look like this when you find it. But what happens next is just everything, every piece of anger and shame and pain that she had was knocked away. And the true honest aspect of what her actual goal was, was put in front of her. And she admits it. And the angel speaks and he speaks exactly how he's supposed to speak. I get chills just thinking about it. He speaks exactly how it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And how it is it supposed to happen? No one else but you are supposed to understand it. Yep. And it just gives me, is ah, it gives, it gets right in my guts. It makes me feel, what a cry almost. It's so beautiful the way they do this scene. How did you feel about it? Oh, no, no, very, very much the same. I was, I mean, I, I, by this point, I'm just completely enthralled with the movie to begin with. I'm, I'm sucked into this. But when that moment happens, such a shift in tone from the actor to the cinematography to uh, the lighting to the music, all of it shifts. And it is, it, it is brilliant. I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, how would you respond if you were to meet a being of 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 this level of existence? I mean, we would stand there in shock and in awe and damn near cry out of the beauty and the simultaneous horror that we're experiencing seeing this stuff. It was perfectly done. Brilliantly balanced. The attention and the detail, while, as you said, still very stereotypical, was also intricate enough and and paying attention to those beautiful details like the fact that all we can hear as the audience is a low rumble when this being speaks but she hears everything and immediately starts apologizing for going through this for doing this for calling on I'm sorry I'm so sorry I'm so so sorry, I'm so sorry. and being in that presence of such an I, I mean for lack of a better term such an angelic presence Everything that she was fighting for now all seems so trivial and, and so low intelligence. And here she she has a moment of realization of, of inner peace, and that's where her favor switches. She went into this wanting revenge for the people that took her son from her. And now here she is at the end of just walking out of hell and can make it happen. But instead, she chooses to have the will and the power to do better and to forgive instead. And that's a heavy thing. And I mean, as we're talking about it, like hearing us talk about it, it's like kind of sounds like a hard hallmark moment. I know I get it. 
but you guys just got a lot of movie. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's got horror elements, but it's so much more than that. It's such a multi-layered story, and they did such a brilliant job with it that you walk away from it with the the ending completely changes the entire film experience for you. So by the time I got done watching it, I found myself in a place of reflection and deep thought rather than going, that was a kick-ass movie. Let's watch it again. Yeah. Like it really got me thinking a lot about things. Her asking for the ability to forgive and to be forgiven. I, I mean, started crying. I did. Too. I started crying. I did too. Yeah. yeah you're not alone. I, I did. I mean, I was choking him back. I had other people on the couch with you like. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just something in my eye, man. I'm sorry. Because he's fine. And she does change. She does change at that point. No. And that's that's where she goes next. She picks up the body of Solomon and she gives him a funeral. She actually goes through an actual process. We don't see the whole process, but we know it's happened because of where we land next. Mm-hmm. The body is prepared and it is marked and put into a shroud. And she gives this man who was so cruel to her for so long as a form of pressure, as a form of, I know what I'm doing, you don't. And she just lets that go and gives him the final respects that she wouldn't have given him if she got revenge. Right. She could only do that if she got the forgiveness she needed at the end. 100%. Yeah. Yep. And she drives away with one less finger. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a, a really, really solemn shot. But for the first time in the entire entirety of the movie, you do see a look on her face that can, I guess, best be described as as relief or calm. It's not happiness. She's still carrying her grief and her sorrow there, but she's moved past the anger and she's found a, a calm place. Yeah. Yeah. So film-wise, what else would you like to touch on before I move to the ritual itself? Okay. Cinematography in this film is astounding. And even the, even though like the locations are very limited, you essentially get one shot in the diner. Some uh, everything else takes place in the house, with the exception of these beautiful sweeping vistas that are honestly, I would like prints of them just to hang on my wall. That's Wales, and yeah, yeah, Wales, and all of the uh, all of the work that they did in the house. It, it was just it was beautifully done from a technical standpoint. Each frame in that movie, it's it. It felt like it was being done by a master director who has been doing this his entire life. It was brilliantly painted like a, a painting. The lighting, the color grading, every shot was just beautiful. And I don't mean that as in gorgeous. It was heavy with its tone. You knew what was going on by the surroundings. Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Is the lighting a certain way? Uh, They packed a lot of information into the visual aspects of this movie. And as you said, this looks like someone who been doing film their whole life. I, I would put this on par with Lords of Arabia with the way that they were framing their shots. And getting as much story visually as possible. Yeah. Um, straight to the angles at which they are filming, even from the ground. It means a lot because you are taking in a lot of information from that perspective. Yeah. 
the the person that I watched it with, he's uh, an, a studier of films, and he says that this is probably one of the best shot films he's ever seen, especially for the subgenre it's in, the pan horror genre that it's in, because we were watching it on Shutter, so I guess it qualifies. The weather, you can watch the weather change. Mm-hmm. And it is it is Welsh winter through most of this movie. And you can see that in the color grading. They did take a lot of detail to let you know that time passes through this movie. Yeah, they, they did real, real well at the, the, the subtlety of all of it. Every every shot, you know, perfectly framed. The other thing I really want to point out about this from a filmmaking standpoint is it is incredibly difficult to make a movie with only two actors in it and have it maintain a level of interest for nearly two hours. So by the time this was over and I came to the realization that the only other people that were in that movie were background characters, a handful of demons for five minutes, and the big muscular guy looking like the holy guardian angel, I was like, wow, wow. I mean, they really carried that. It's a brilliant acting, too. Was there an actor for the holy guardian angel? Because I couldn't tell if that was a person or not. Yeah. No, that was, uh, they definitely CG'd the ever-loving heck out of it as soon as it was done. But yeah, there there was an actual stand-in and model for it. I can't remember the guy's name, but if you look up the credits, you'll see him listed. Now, the ritual itself, hmm. while not that the ritual they say it is, I have no doubts that if you were to perform what they did in that house, something's going to happen. The process was laid out. He made it very clear what they were doing in each room and how it works. And if you did this, something is going to happen. Now, it's not going to be a bunch of demons coming out of the walls and dragging you to the basement. Might not even be your holy guardian angel. But if that's the intent you put in, I think you could get it out of there. Yeah. The intent is key here. Yeah. The blood sacrifice ritual, I don't recommend. But it could work if, if you are not willing to give up the thing that you need to give up. Which she should should have gone the easy way, but that was going to be a lot more work for them to come in forgiving rather than to land at forgiveness. That was going to be a lot more psychological work than she was going to put in and they didn't have time for that. Yeah. They have one six months, a year. They have a year in this house. And the way that they set up the room for that, the way that he coached her through it this could actually work for something i'm not sure what but you will get results what those results are will be whatever you intend and put energy into that part the washing the cold shower thing definitely works i don't like this one scene where he drowns her in the tub i don't recommend doing that yeah let's let's not Let's not try crossing over and coming back. It just seems like a really bad idea. You can probably approach something similar with some, you know, high-grade hallucinogens and some shamanistic practices. Yes, yes. I wouldn't suggest doing what they did. But if you can safely knock yourself out of reality for a little bit, it works. It absolutely works. The sigils they put on the floor, the circles... I've seen this in other practices. Now, this comes together very much as a chaos magician would put it together. But they, and I say that not because there isn't anything that could be found. You could definitely find something similar to this in literature. But they made that clear when they were painting on her back. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Already, like, so bring chaos magic into this. A bremlin may have been the wraparound concept, but they were pulling from all different schools of thought and different practices and kind of making something their own out of it. 
So essentially, yeah, you could do the exact same thing. Find the practices that work for you out of these particular methods and then fold them into whatever you think is your greater your greater mission. I honestly think you could write a whole working off of this movie and come out with results, to be perfectly honest. It's not like other movies I've watched that are based on, say, H.P. Lovecraft's writing. You're not going to necessarily get results unless you put a lot of pre-work into doing that. This process he lays out is effective. And it's in a movie and it's in media. And I'm so shocked to see that level of representation for and respect for occult practices portrayed in media. Yeah, agreed. That was one of the things that stuck out to me the most is that they handle it really, really well. Now, again, obviously, they're going to take some fictional liberties to spice up the drama because it is a film. They're still trying to keep you entertained. But yeah, there was a lot going on underneath the surface there. And uh, you, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pull pull on a few strings and I'm going to see if I might be able to get in touch with uh, Liam Gavin. And if I can, maybe we can do this again with him on board as well. I, I don't think any questions I would have would be appropriate. It's like, what are you doing in your downtime, sir? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> When's the next one? He's a, yes. a, apparently he's got a new one coming out sometime uh, into this year, beginning of next. Uh, but I guess with all the strikes and everything that's been going on, it's probably be pushed back. We can wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm patient. That was a hell of a debut. No pun intended. I, I can't wait to see what this guy comes up with next. Yeah. So any last thoughts on it? No, just I, I would say, obviously, if you're listening to this, you've already seen it. And, and hopefully if you hadn't, you stopped this way beforehand to go watch it and then come back and, and listen to us go on about it. But I think it's one of the, the more important films uh, that have been made over like the last 10 years or so. For a variety of reasons, you know, whether or not you want to look at that from a filmmaking technical aspect, a paranormal aspect, or an occult aspect, there's so much to unpack from this film. And I got to tell you, every time I go back and watch it, I pick up on something else that I missed before. Or, you know, some other minor little detail is just sitting in the background somewhere. In my eyes, it truly was a masterpiece. And it is simultaneously a good representation of, and then also a a bit of a warning of what getting into some of this stuff can be like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cautionary tale. You're not ready to... (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 And well, right before we wrap up here, not finishing the damn thing. Okay. That's something we knew that Crowley, he never actually wrapped it up. And supposedly, supposedly that's why we had World War One. And the Loch Ness Monster. And the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) But the scene shortly after we lose Solomon, she gets in the car and just takes off. I'm done with this. I'm getting out of here. I'm I'm completely done. And after driving for hours, she somehow magically ends up back on the driveway of the house that she just escaped, reminding you that don't start it if you can't finish it and you're not getting out of this. Yeah. Yeah. The initiation requires your participation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Flood, how did I find you? You want to tell us about your show? Oh, yeah, sure. I have a little podcast called XV Planus. XV Planus is more or less a a way for me and my paranormal investigation team to kind of document the experiments that we do and the research that we've done and the the places that we've gone to investigate. And I've been doing that for about three years. It's, It's kind of expanded from being just a podcast into like a collective of researchers and investigators. So it's growing as a family. And this same XV Panis family ended up mixing up with the Green Mushroom family 
I think that's where a lot of us all know each other from. But yeah, that's so that show comes out usually every two weeks. We try to run bi-weekly, but sometimes life gets in the way. So there might be gaps here and there. And yeah, we, we got a pretty wild stretch for the rest of the year. So if you like the spooky, come on and check it out. I got some good stories about the Uinta Basin. I'm going to have to catch up on that. No one escapes the gravitational force of Luxicol. It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me today. It was a great movie, and it's good to have you in our circle. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime you want to talk movies, I'm, I'm here for it, especially if it's one like this. Absolutely. Camera Occulta is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. off you say that to me the arch disciple of lucifer himself you piss off